0: cross. We started this out with me saying the cross back in Jesus' time was a barbaric thing. It was a a thing of dread and fear. When people seen a cross, it struck terror in their hearts because that was a means of destroying men's lives. It was a means of brutally executing an individual. But today, the cross, we wear it around our neck. We hang it in our homes. And it's amazing that Jesus Christ was able to take a barbaric torture device meant to steal men's lives and transform it into an image of hope all around the world. And aren't you glad that that's not where he stopped? He also transformed our heart. He took our heart that was dark and deceived, and he brought light into it. And he redeemed it and made it a a beautiful thing. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the cross. And then Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ Jesus, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So there's only one power. i got to tell you this over and over again. There's only one power that leads a man to salvation, and then also carries him through a life of salvation, because salvation isn't just going to heaven. Salvation is here and now, right? You're either saved, you are living in Christ, or you're not living in Christ. You are either experiencing all the promises of God, or you're not experiencing all the promises of God. For the word of God says that all the promises of, of God find their yes and their amen, which means so be it, in Christ. So you're, if you're in Christ, all the promises of God pertain to you. And that's good news. All the promises of God find their yes and amen. Their yes is, means God put a stamp of approval on Jesus Christ. The amen is our part. Amen is our part. That's why people say amen in church. It means so be it. So be it done unto me according to what you have just said. And you take it as your own. That's what amen means. Amen isn't just a religious thing we say to keep us awake during church. Huh? I catch you. you just, amen. But, but amen is saying, yes, that's mine. I grab a hold of it. So be it done unto me. But the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. And we talked about that. There's two different people groups in the world. There's a, the religious person that's very religious and self-righteous and they're works-oriented and think that they earn their right to be accepted by God. And the gospel's for them. And then there's the Greek. Those are the philosophers. Those are those that try to think their way and try to be scientific and humanistic and, and trying to have their own moral code and, and enlightenment. And the gospel's for them, too. And out of those two group, people groups, the religious people, and the, and the philosophers, and the intellectuals, God calls them all unto Christ through the gospel. For it, in it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is, writ- as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What's the revelation of you're the righteousness of God is revealed to you? Then you live by faith. I was under the burden for so long that thinking, I got to live by faith. I got to live by faith. No, I need to awaken to righteousness. I got to awaken to the finished work of Christ. I got to awaken to who Christ is and who I am in him. And then faith comes easily. How many of you feel like faith is a burden sometime? Like I got to work up faith. That's just another works. No, you rest and faith comes Naturally, it's actually a fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. And our faith is in what? His faithfulness. It's not even in you. I hope your faith's not in you. Your faith is in His faithfulness. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So the power of the cross, the power of the cross redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's what we're going to talk about today. That the cross has the power in it to redeem us from the curse of the law. And most of you don't even know that there is a curse to the law. I mean, it feels like a curse, but you like the law. You think it's good. You think it's it's part of the gospel, and it's not. The law has nothing to do with the gospel. That's why you have the Old Testament, an old covenant, and you have a New Testament, a new covenant. And I'm getting ahead of myself. By the time we're done here, you're going to shout when you hear that the the power of the the cross had the power to redeem you from the law. Amen. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. This is Jesus talking. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. See, right there people say, see, we're supposed to live by the law. Jesus says he didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. You're absolutely right. He did not come to destroy it, finish it, but to fulfill it. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. We weren't able to fulfill it. He fulfilled it on our behalf. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means will means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Did Jesus... Finish it? Did he fulfill it? Guess what that means? That passed away. It passed away. The law passed away because it has been fulfilled. The requirements of the law have passed away because Christ has fulfilled it. It's fulfilled in Christ. When he says it is finished, that doesn't mean, you know what, I got it it almost, I got it to the five yard line. You just got to punch it through to the goal. No, he went all the way into the goal, spiked the ball, and did a touchdown dance. It's over. There's nothing you have to do. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're thinking, I don't understand that. If you're saying that it's already done, then he tells you, you gotta do it. You gotta realize, and it wasn't finished when he said this. He hadn't been crucified yet. He was preaching, and he's saying, Listen, until the law's here until it's fulfilled. And if you want to, this is what you gotta do. Your righteousness has to exceed the most righteous people that walked on the earth at that time, the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't even righteous enough. He's saying, go for it. Give it your best shot. And then right after this, he goes through a bunch of things. He talks about murder and how the law says, you shall not murder. But he says, but if you hate your brother in your heart, you have, you're already guilty. Anybody ever hate Somebody? Oh, don't lie in church. Huh? You're guilty. The only reason you didn't murder the guy is because you're afraid to go to jail. Then he goes on to talk about adultery. That it's of the heart. That if you look at a woman, none of you guys have done that. Looked at a woman with lust in your heart. You've already committed adultery with her. He's preaching the law to the full extent. He's saying, you want to be righteous? You want to be righteous according to the law? You better be righteous, more righteous than the Pharisees. And this is what it looks like. He talks about marriage and how it's sacred and binding and that it was for the hardness of their hearts that Moses gave the bill of divorce. And that truth, he talks about don't take an oath. Don't swear by the temple or the altar. He says, just let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. See, under their system, it was like you could lie just as long as you didn't swear on the temple or the altar. You didn't make an oath. He says, no. Let everything you say be yes or be no. Be truthful in all your dealings. Not just in your little oath taking. Then he talks about going the second mile. Someone going the second mile. Then he talks about loving your enemies. This is the law. See, most of us don't understand the purpose of the law. Most of us don't, weren't taught the true purpose of the law. Most of us think that the law was for, for us to obey, and it was. But most of it was thinking that we're supposed to do the law, and God never intended you to be able to keep the law perfectly. Do you realize that? Do you know that God never intended you to be able to keep the law? Do you know that he... See, some people say, well, we need the law to make us holy. You know, the the law was never intended to make a person holy. Never. Look at some of the stuff that the law... You know, if, if God really intended... If God really intended for us to keep the law, then why did he... Ordain sacrifices. Because he knew that they would break up. They knew that they couldn't keep the law. Why would they have the priests? These are all shadows of one to come. These are all shadows of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And our one true high priest. The one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Who entered into the Holy of Holies once for the redemption of all men. Went in once, not every time you sin, he doesn't have to go back in there, sprinkle a little bit more blood. He did it once, 2,000 years ago. The sins you committed in the past and the sins you committed in the future was all taken care of 2,000 years ago. Why did God do that? Because that was all a shadow. The, The high priest going in and representing the nation, one man representing the nation of Israel, sprinkling the blood, It was all a shadow of Jesus Christ. It was all a shadow of Jesus Christ. And these shadows, we fall in love with the shadow. And I've I've shared this before, but it's it's as nine as me going on a business trip and coming back. And when I was gone, I had a picture of my family with me. So I could look at them and think about them. And then when I come back, I come back home and my family's there. But instead of spending time with my family, I go into my bedroom and I lock the door and I pull up my picture and spend time with the picture. We have Jesus now, and we want to talk about all these shadows and these, these When we have the, the sum total of the shadow, Jesus Christ. Huh. We 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 try to we try to take the Old Testament and we try to find a place for it in the New Testament. And Jesus says that the whole Old Testament, he says you look at the Word of God thinking that you have salvation in them, and it's talking about me. We're supposed to be going to the Old Testament and looking for Jesus, not taking the Old Testament and trying to fit it into the New Testament. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed in those shadows, those types, those images. And in the New Testament, it's Jesus revealed. Amen. Amen. That's good. But this is what the law, this is what the law, it says about the law. It says, the law was given for the knowledge of sin in Romans 3.20. Because apart from the law, who's to hold you accountable for your sin? The law was brought in to make men accountable for their misdeeds and conduct. The law, it was actually good. But the problem is, is we had no ability in us to be good. The law was, it was God's grace that he even dwelt among his people, that he gave them the law, then he gave them the sacrifice for when they failed to keep the law. And they were a witness to the rest of the world of the future coming of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of all men. They looked to that. They looked to that. The law was given for the knowledge of sin. The law was given... Sin strength. The law gave sin strength. So if you want to try to keep the law, all you are doing is empowering sin in your life. And you're thinking, well, what's that mean? If I don't have to keep the law, then I just live any way I want. No, you just live in the spirit. How do you want to live? Do you want to live like you used to live? No, that's why we come to church. That's why we came to Jesus. We came to Jesus because we didn't like the way we lived. We felt like there's something missing. It felt like something was broken, and Jesus fixed it. And now we get to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, and not by the lusts of the flesh. He wrote his He wrote His law upon our hearts. He gave us new want to's. I want to do d- different. But sin was empowered by the law. The law was of the flesh and not of faith, according to Galatians three twelve. So we so. Pastor Tom just talked about how without faith it is impossible to please God. Right? And if the law is not of faith and you're trying to keep the law, you're not pleasing to God. This is shocking, isn't it? (laughs) What's pleasing to God? Faith in Jesus Christ. Resting in Jesus Christ. The finished work of Christ. Seeing yourself in Christ. Walking in Christ. That's what is pleasing to God. That's faith, that I'm righteous, I'm holy, apart from the law, as we're going to see. The law made the whole world guilty, Romans 3:19. The law makes people guilty. If you've got someone that doesn't think they need Jesus, just pull out the law. The law still is very useful. Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever bared false witness against your brother? Have you ever coveted your neighbor's ass? It's in the law. In 1 Timothy 1:19, it says, "The law is not for a righteous person, but an unrighteous person." Question: Is the law for you? It's for an unrighteous person. Are you righteous? Yes, Jesus Christ has made you the very righteousness of God himself. So the law is not for you. Mm. That's what the law is for. The law is for to bring us to the end of ourselves. It's to bring us to our knees and say, God, help me, save me, O wretch of a man that I am. And thank God, through Christ Jesus, he has. By keeping the law completely, Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law and the prophets, becoming the only worthy sacrifice. Jesus Christ was just like you and I, but without sin. He was tempted the same way we were, but because of his nature, of who he was, the Spirit of God dwelling in him, because he was God in the flesh, he had the power to overcome sin, the temptation of sin. Under the law, a lamb had to be sacrificed to cover the sins of a person. The lamb had to be without spot and without blemish. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ was. John one twenty nine, John, this is John the Baptist. He says, saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's exclamation point, so I didn't say that right. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Woo! That's good news. See, he's talking about this lamb. What lamb taking away sin? He's talking about those shadows and types in the Old Testament. And at the day of atonement, people people bring in their lambs to the high priest. And they had to pick one that was without blemish and without spot. It's amazing. You know, God knew our hearts, He knew how we'd be. We'd go find the old sick lamb, we'd find the old one that's been in the mud and trampled on, and half of it's been eaten by coyotes. <laughs> that's what we'd bring. But He says that no, it has to be without spot and without blemish. Why? Because it was a shadow. It was a shadow of the one that would come, that would be without sin, without spot, without blemish. And when, when they brought that lamb to the high priest, what did the high priest do? So tell me, confess all your sins to me. What, what sins have you committed? No, that's not what they did. They didn't even look at the person that brought the lamb. They looked at the lamb. They went over that lamb with a fine Tooth comb. Is that right? Fine tooth comb. Made sure there was no fleas, no blemishes, no spots, no lumps. It had to be perfect. They could care less about you and your sin. They, their job was to make sure that that lamb was perfect. And we want to concentrate on our sin all the time. Instead of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Keep your eye on him. And not on yourself. It's all, it's all about him. So Jesus was the substance of this Old Testament shadow. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The blood of that animal, in Hebrew says, could not take away sin. It just covered sin. It just covered. It was kind of like a credit card. You have your credit card balance. And you we took Dave Ramsey here, so no, none of us has the credit card anymore, or the credit card balance. But you got a credit card balance and you got this debt on there and you just pay the monthly, the same monthly uh, minimum payment. You pay it month after month, just the minimum payment, and that debt never goes down. It just satisfies till next month, till next month. And that's why in the Old Testament there's sacrifices over and over and over again because there's no power in an animal. No matter how pure, no matter how spotless, To take away sin. But Jesus Christ. Fully man. Came. And fully God. Came. And took away the sins of the world. Becoming the perfect sacrifice. See. If if it was one man. One righteous man dying for. One righteous man. I can understand it. Because that's one for one. Right? One righteous man dying for an unrighteous man. But it wasn't just a. One righteous man dying for an unrighteous man. It was God. It was God dying for humanity. It was God incarnate. That's awesome. John 18, 12 through 14. This is when they're going out to get, get Jesus. And it says, Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led led him away to Ananias first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. That is amazing. Caiaphas prophesied as high priest over the nation of Israel that it is best for one man to die for all the people. He, without even knowing it, he was proclaiming the sacrifice. That Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. And you remember the story, I hope, that at that mock trial, Jesus was brought in there, and all night long, they brought in all these false witnesses, those people that love to keep the law, brought in all these false witnesses to testify against him, and they couldn't find anything that stood the test of the trial. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. Until they asked Jesus, are you the son of God? And he says, it is as you said. And he ripped his garment. And do you know when a high priest, it was against the law for him to rip his garment? As soon as he ripped his garment, he was no longer high priest. That's because a new priest was about to come in, Jesus Christ. He ripped his garment, and they said he's guilty. And Jesus was the son of God. There was no lie. So so you got the Israel looking at him, looking at him over and over again. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm excited. Then you got Pilate. Pilate was a Roman. He was the military. He was the leader of Jerusalem for the Gentiles in Israel. And Pilate, he said three times in the book of John, Pilate proclaimed, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. In John 18, 38, 19, 4, and 19, 6, he says, I find no fault in the man. I washed my hands clean of his blood. So we have the Jewish high priest that went over Jesus with a fine tooth comb looking for any spot or blemish and couldn't find anything except for him being the son of God. And then you have the leader of the Gentiles questioning him, looking into who he was and what he said he had done. And they could, he could find no fault in the man. Both of them proclaiming that he was the perfect sacrifice. Both the Jews and the Gentiles. Proclaiming that Jesus Christ was without spot and without blemish. And they executed him. Because this is going to come to news for you. God did not sacrifice his son. See, we get this idea that God is some kind of bloodthirsty God that demands child sacrifice. No, he he actually, that was, he cursed nations for sacrificing their children unto false gods. See, we get this idea that God hated man. That God really couldn't stand mankind. And God really wanted to destroy man. He really just wanted to send a lightning bolt down and wipe us all out. But Jesus, Jesus was loving. Jesus was kind. And Jesus says, no, no, Father, don't don't bring your judgment and your wrath on them. Bring it on me. Bring it on me. And that wasn't the case whatsoever. God is not a bloodthirsty God. God didn't need the blood of Jesus. I needed the blood of Jesus. You needed the blood of Jesus. God wasn't the one that needed the blood. We needed it. The Bible actually says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. What kind of God does this? What kind of God comes down and says, I will take the full blow of death I will take the full blow of sin into myself. What kind of God does that? It seems so illogical to us. It seems crazy. So who did? Who did kill Jesus? Well, the Bible gives us some clues. It says in Luke 4, 28 and 30, in Nazareth, people wanted to throw him off a cliff. In Matthew 12, 14, it says Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath and people wanted to kill him. Jesus healed the lame man and, and they wanted to kill him in John chapter 5, 16 and 18. The people wanted to kill him because he claimed to be Christ in John 10, 31 and 39. He claimed equality with God, so they wanted to kill him in John 8, 37 and 59. He was making himself to be God, so they wanted to kill him, John eight thirty seven fifty nine. Many were believing on him, so people wanted to kill him. John eleven, forty five and fifty seven. Hmm, I wonder who killed Jesus. In Matthew twenty six, twenty five, the end of that verse it says Jesus says, Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Hebrews tells us, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Not hostility from God. Hostility from sinners. In Matthew 20, 18 through 19, Jesus says, behold, behold. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, both groups the Jews and the Greeks, the Jews and the Gentiles, both groups, to mock and scourge and crucify him. And this is the part they all missed. And on the third day, he will be raised up. That's the part that they couldn't understand. So are we get in the picture are we get in the picture to who killed Jesus? John 3:19. This is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Light came into the world, and the darkness tried to destroy it. The dark, darkness tried to cover it up because it shined on their evil thoughts, their evil desires, their wicked heart, and they tried to stomp it out. They tried to stomp it out. Jesus willingly became a substitute for all men. Jesus laid down his life willingly. Not because the Father was making him, but because he knew that this was the only way to stamp out death and sin forever by being the atoning sacrifice for sin. And through doing that, he freed us from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Question, have you ever had something bad happen in your life and you say, I wonder why God's doing this to me? Or you think, you know what? That little thing that I did the other day, this is God getting repercussions for what I did. No, no. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. God is not out there keeping the do's and don'ts in order. He's not the police. As far as he's concerned, you've been redeemed from the law. you've been redeemed from sin. You're the one that has to wake up. He's, he's not He's not confused. You still think you're the sinner. He's not confused. He sees you as the righteousness of God. He sees you in Christ Jesus. We're the confused ones. We have been redeemed from the curse. Then why bad things happen, Chad? Because there is a law of sowing and reaping. There is a law of sin still in this earth. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. I'm telling you, sin, you can be the righteousness of God, and still be walking in the wrong kingdom, walking in sin, walking in darkness, and reap the rewards of your fa- of the father of the king of that darkness. It's just Satan. But you know what you got to do is you get, all you have to do is say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, pick me back up. Jesus, get me out of this darkness. And He'll rescue you. He'll rescue you. Look at what Isaiah prophesied about the finished work of Christ. In Isaiah 54, 9 and 10, look at at this. He says, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Remember the flood? Right? I never understood I mean, I think we even did it. Well, we put the Noah and the Ark and all the baby animals up on in our kids' nursery room and stuff like that. That's really a horrible story. Everybody died. When well, we cutin' it up. God was with man until there was only eight left. God, God was so merciful. During the time of Noah, there was only eight righteous. There was only eight men. There was only eight people. That's the kindness. That's the personality of our God. Eight. And to save the eight, he destroyed the entire world. But after the flood, what did he do? He put his bow in the sky. We call it a rainbow, but in the Bible it's called the bow. I put my bow in the sky, and he says that will be a sign that I'll never curse the earth, destroy the earth again by flood. Do you know what that word bow is? It has nothing to do with a cute little rainbow. A bow is judgment. A bow, bow is used for war. He says, I'm hanging my bow. Up in the sky, and I will not bring judgment or wrath upon you through water again. In which way is that bow pointing? It's pointing up. The next time God brought wrath and judgment, He brought it into His very self and destroyed it. And destroyed it. These are all images of Jesus Christ. So these are like the waters of Noah. And he says now that he would not be angry with you. He's not going to rebuke you. He says it would be easier for the mountains to depart and the hills to be removed for his, his kindness to depart from you. His covenant of peace to be removed. His mercy is upon you. Do you believe this? And just like that bow as a symbol of God never Bring in judgment and upon the earth through the floodwaters again. We have the cross. The cross is a symbol that his kindness will be with us forever and never be removed. That his covenant of peace towards you, that he has nothing against you, will not be taken away. And that his mercy will endure Forever. If you think God's mad at you this morning, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the power of the cross. If you think God's mad at you, I got news for you. He's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. Jesus established our righteousness with God forever, forever. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him, Jesus was made sin. Jesus took into him everything that sin and death had to offer. He brought it into his very being. They said that his body was so deformed that he didn't even look human, the scripture says. He was marred more than the Son of Man. He was, he was totally engulfed with sin and death. And he brought it into himself, his very self, and light swallowed up darkness. And death was swallowed up in victory. O grave, where is thy victory? On the third day, he rose from the dead, and we rose with him. The church rose with him. Amen. Do you understand that? Satan did everything he had. Sin did everything it could. Death did everything it could to stop Jesus, to hold him down, to destroy him. And light came into the world and consumed the darkness. He destroyed the power of sin and death in our life. Romans chapter 5, 17, 19. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, who's that talking about? Adam. By one man, Adam, his one offense, death reigned in us all, right? Much more, (laughs) much more. Much more. We have more faith in Adam than we do in Jesus. We have more. F- think that power of sin and death has more power than Jesus. But that's not what Paul thought. That's not what the Holy Spirit thought when he told Paul to write this. He says, much more. Much more than this death that reigns through the one. Much more. Those who receive the abundance. The cornucopia. <laughs> the The overflow. The extreme extravagance of God's grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the gospel. That you don't have to let death reign over you any longer. But you now have the authority in Jesus Christ as a new creation, as the righteousness of God to reign in life. To reign in life. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. It's come. It's here. It's just as much here for you sitting here this morning as it is for the drunk on the bar stool. It's there for the taking. It's there for just embracing Jesus and his gift. That's awesome. Where was I? 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Are you righteous this morning? Amen. Amen. You guys don't look very convinced. You're righteous. You're as righteous as you're ever going to be. And it's not of works. It's a faith in the faithfulness of Christ. Amen. Romans eight: 1 through four, "There is, therefore now. When's now? Now is now. It was now back then, and it's now today. You know what tomorrow it's going to be? It's going to be now then. Therefore, now, right now, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, and you feel condemned, who's the one condemning you? your own conscience can? Why because you're not you haven't renewed your mind to the gospel? Self-righteous religious people can condemn you? The devil can condemn you? You know, I I I, <laughs> I was in the car thinking about uh Some things we were actually driving to a football game with Corbin, and and I was just driving. I was thinking about things in my past, and I was thinking, how would life be different if I didn't do that? And how you know I wish I didn't do that. And the spirit of God just came up to me and said, He said, "What difference does it make if you could go back and live life over and not do all that stuff? What difference does it make?" Because it's not about you. And I don't know about you, but that was freeing. That was liberating. That all those things that I was disgusted about in my past, that Satan could bring up and make me think about who I used to be. The Spirit of God simply just says, What does it matter? It's not about you, anyways. It's all about Christ. That's liberating. So stop thinking about your past. Stop thinking about the things that you should have done or could have done or the things you wish you didn't do. It's not about you, anyways. It's all about Jesus. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. You have been set free from the law. You've been set free from the curse of law of sin and death. For what the law could not do. The law couldn't do this. In that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it. He destroyed it in his own body. That the ordinances of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Go back to what Jesus said. He said, the law of the prophets, not one jot, not one tittle, tittle, whatever our title is, will never pass away until all is fulfilled. And just before that, he says, I have come not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. What does it say? Let's read it again. There is now no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do in That it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the ordinances of the law might be fulfilled in us. He fulfilled it. It's passed away, it's gone. Who walk after the flesh, not after the flesh. But after the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit of God. This new creation reality is that God himself, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, in your spirit man. And once we renew our minds to who we are in Christ Jesus, our actions will follow suit. The reason why you still sin is because you think you're a sinner. The reason why you think you're still addicted to Destructive patterns and behaviors is because you think it has power over you. You have more faith in death than you do in Christ. Amen. That's awesome. I mean, it can't get any clearer than that. The law, the prophets, they were all fulfilled in Christ. It's over. Ding dong, that witch is dead. Amen. That is so good. This takes, this takes the weapon of Satan from you. This takes the weapon of those religious people that are just hypocrites, that think that they can keep the law. They think that they're good enough. They think that their righteousness is of themselves and not of Christ. It takes that weapon away. It's awesome. This is awesome. Romans 3, 21 and 26. But now, again, when's now? Now's right Now. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So there's a righteousness that's apart, totally apart from the law, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. There it is again. The law and the prophets. The law and the prophets spoke of this righteousness that would come that was apart from the law. Jesus Christ. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Do you realize That the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ has come to every single human being. But it only rests upon, they only live in it when they believe. And you can call yourself a Christian and not be living in it. Because you don't believe that you're righteous. You don't trust and that Jesus Christ was enough to all and on all who believe for there is no difference why why is there no difference to to the Jews and to the Greeks for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God there's no difference in any of us what makes you think that you're righteous what makes what you go to this denomination you you pray 20 times a day you know You tithe, you read your Bible, you pray for an hour, two hours a day. That makes you righteous, that makes you holy. We all, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified By keeping the law. No, that doesn't what it says. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has had passed over their sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time His righteousness that He might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. Romans chapter 3, verse 27 and 31. Where is boasting then? Where is boasting Is boasting found in you keeping the law and how righteous and holy you are by all the good works you did? No. Boasting is in Christ. God gets the glory. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the redeemer. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. Therefore, well, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? There they both are again. It's amazing. Yes, Of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. How do we establish the law? We establish the law by saying Jesus Christ fulfilled the law in the prophets. He fulfilled the law on our behalf, being made sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Amen. That is, that's awesome. It's, I'm happy to know that Jesus Christ did it all. You don't have to do anything but just rest in Him, fellowship with Him, live and dwell in Him. That condemnation, that guilt, those things that have haunted you from your past, they're gone. God has thrown him into the sea of forgetfulness. And if he's forgot him, what right do you have to hold on to him? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Caris New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.charisntc.org And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.